guys already know, you still see. <laughs> we'll be doing, um, I'll be reading Matthew 6 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Yes, and grab your seats. So tonight we are diving back into the Gospel of Matthew, which if you've been following along in the story of Sparrow City, we've, uh, the very first few weeks of our gathering, we were discussing the Beatitudes, where Jesus describes a new kind of community, a community that's not built upon the same social structures as the world around them and us. But in fact, it's a community that's built on a freedom and a confidence in the grace of Jesus. A community that is able to weep over our wrongs, face the brokenness within and without, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to see the justice of Jesus invade the brokenness of our hearts, our homes, and our nation. We're a people who are peacemakers, determined to build relationships with others and fight for something eternal. To love others and to love God is a building block of who we are, the simplicity of following Christ. It seems as if many of us, we've come from so many different traditions and so much different history that we almost needed a reset where we just wanted to look to see what it is we're actually supposed to build into our lives as far as Jesus is concerned. Not taking on what other people have suggested or what has been effective in the past. We're not concerned with growing large. We're decidedly after being simple. And what simplicity to me means is the idea that we set aside the unnecessary, even good unnecessaries, for the indispensable things that Christ has made clear. Any other effort for us to form ourselves or even a community apart from Jesus, it will be off-center. And so for us, we've just dove into the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, where Jesus describes this alternative reality. And it's been both confronting, challenging, but also life-giving. When we actually put into practice some of the teachings of Jesus, we end up seeing that there is vitality to be found. There is joy, there is peace that we haven't always been able to interact with or receive through previous practices of Christianity. So, tonight we push on. We've gone through chapter 5. And I'll encourage you to go back and check out those teachings if you want to catch up to speed. We're on chapter 6, and we're going to just take the first verse. Now, Jesus is shifting gears. If you were to look in chapter 5, he talks a lot about how this new righteousness or this new right way of living both towards God and the world is being unleashed by him. Jesus did not come, he says, to destroy the law. He didn't come to make us a lawless community. He actually came so that the law or the beautiful, well-ordered life can actually be brought to bear in us. You see, because of grace, we're actually intended to look more and more like we were designed. So we don't need a structure that's super rigid to, like, say, this regimented rules do X, Y, Z. Instead, Jesus sets us free with this beautiful canopy of, like, of grace. That even if we fall, he like catches us. 
Even if in our efforts to love God and others, we don't get it quite right, we're carried by grace. And this grace not only protects us from the consequence of our brokenness, but it also gives us courage to try things. It gives us courage to actually love and risk greatly for the sake of others and God, which cultivates a spirit of love. And so Jesus is coming from this chapter where he says, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, but I say. And it leads us right into chapter 6 where he says, beware. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Why does Jesus take time to caution a people? Why doesn't he just continue to give more kind of images of what living in the kingdom looks like? He shows so many of them, but then all of a sudden he's like, hold on, but be careful as you do this way of living. I think to observe this idea that Jesus is even cautioning his disciples, he's both admitting that there is a, a, a tendency or a proclivity of even believers to take our righteous practices, that being prayer, that being meditation, that being coming to the black box, that being doing what we do, out of love for God, we have the tendency to actually allow those things to be utilized, not to build relationship with God, but to build up our own lives, to utilize the things we do to make an imprint or an impact on others, to make us look better than we really are. And I know that today's day is different than others, especially in a culture that's not primarily driven by the practice of Jesus. So for us to go out and evangelize, that's not going to gain you popularity, right? That's not going to make you the, the favorite co-worker at your workplace. No, it's not. And so there is some contextual work that we need to do to kind of understand what Jesus would be saying to us today in our current circumstance. This doesn't mean that it's an, an unimportant text, but rather what is Jesus really after? So, what I love about this is that Jesus takes time to caution me as he goes, I have made you my son. I have washed away your sins. I have set you free. I've delivered you from shame, bondage, all the broken garbage that is normative. But be careful. Be careful how you move forward. If you, go, if you were to go back into the story of ancient Israel, when they were enslaved in Egypt, they went to the Pharaoh, and God said, basically, through Moses, let my people go. I want to deliver them. And so the people were delivered. And what did they go and do? Were they delivered to just do whatever they wanted to do? No, they were delivered that they may worship or serve the living God. And so when we look at our own lives, God has been doing a beautiful work among us in my life and in your lives. Many of you, you're seeing that God is like removing some of the residue and the garbage and the weight and the history of your past. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not having to use the same emotional energy to kind of like make myself feel good about what my history is because Jesus miraculously has like washed me of the sense of shame. And now I don't have to pour my energy into that anymore. 
And some of you, you're willing to walk through and think about old situations that were uncomfortable or unpleasant for you in a new way because God has given you the courage to do so. And so you're not spending energy and time avoiding certain topics or blinding yourself to things. There is a new freedom that God has been giving to you. Some of you who have come to faith in recent days, you have realized that there is so much freedom that you didn't even know you were carrying the weight that you've been carrying until Jesus takes it. The question Jesus is addressing is, what do we do with the energy we have now? Now that we're not spending ourselves carrying the baggage of our own making and the making of others in our lives, what do we do with what we have? And here is where it's very significant, I think, because many of you have been uh, brought up or you've been um, uh, assimilated into a Christianity that has kind of set us up to um, have very broken faith. And this isn't isn't a bash on the church, but it's an incomplete way that we were taught to follow God. There is the fallacy of the Western Christian church that basically says you can follow Jesus and you can become powerful in society. You can follow Jesus and you can have the world. You can have the trappings of the world and Jesus. And so it's like we're, we're, we're trying to live this world that even Paul would be like, no, like that's not how it works. Or, or even Jesus, who's like those who, who lose their life will find it. Those who find their life will lose it. There is this dichotomy that is woven into the fabric of reality that we resist submitting to. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's dive into this text this evening. So if you have a Bible, if you're not already there, please jump in. Firstly, this warning that Jesus gives us, he wants us to know that our motives matter. That what's going on inside of us matters when we walk it out. And so from the very foundation, we've been trying to build a faith in a community where it's, it's not automatic. We can't just walk through the motions without us going like something is missing here. Part of the beauty of simplicity is that if God doesn't show up, everybody's sitting in the room going like, what was that? Right? And so for us to have a, a space where we're going, okay, well, we want to cultivate a spot where God can do what only God can do, and we're not going to rely upon things to fill in the gaps so nobody notices if God isn't there. No, we're, we're doing ministry naked. Really. And that's a scary thing. It's a scary way to, fall, to lead your family. It's a scary way to live your, your life and for you to face your work circumstances. It's difficult for you to live in a way where you are vulnerable, that if God doesn't show up, then it is empty. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not after empty works. I'm not after you just doing the right thing. God, Jesus didn't come and die so that more people can give more alms. Not almonds, but like money. Jesus didn't die for people to just go and 
virtue signal and try and show themselves to be good. Jesus wants a heart that's engaged. Because if that's the one thing that this verse says clearly is if you do things for the wrong motives in order to be seen by people, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Reward. That's an interesting word for us to kind of interact with maybe tonight. A lot of us in evangelical history were like, no, it's by grace you're saved, uh, lest any man should boast. So, so your works don't matter what you do. Well, it's more complex than that. So the lack of discipleship within our churches and our own lives has given us this faith that's not quite in alignment, right? And so we need to kind of rectify some of the ways we think to match what Jesus says and not the simplistic way that we heard it in the past years. So beware that your motives match your heart. Your motives matter. Second point is uh, found in Galatians 5.13. We have this tendency or temptation to try and utilize our freedom that we've been given. But Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In the business world, you can get in a lot of trouble for misuse of funds, right? Josh, is that true? You run with funds in the hospital. Uh, in any industry, you have to have an accountability with our church as well. Funds are supposed to go what they're created to do. Well, Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, only don't misuse your freedom for yourself. You see, we've been spoon-fed this ideology where self-actualization has become this right that we've kind of incorporated into Christianity, which I do think there's a form of self-actualization, but if that becomes the king of your life where you're like, no, success for me to arrive, for me to make much of myself is my duty to myself. I remember growing up in school, it was like, the, the worst thing that you could do was to fall short of your potential. At least that's what my dad said, right? <laughs> right? Wasted potential. No, he didn't say it to me. It was about somebody else, but man, if he did, that'd be so hard. Um, but isn't that so true? It's like part of, it's ingrained within us. If we have this ability to maximize self, we probably should. But how does that work with our discipleship to Jesus? How does that work if, if what we're doing in our life and with our actions is actually serving to grow our own kingdom instead of his kingdom? And so we have to take the words of Paul seriously. He says, like, hey, hey, you were called to freedom. Like, don't fall back into this regimented lifestyle, but don't use your freedom, the fact that you can't lose your salvation, don't use that to give yourself excuse to be destructive towards your relationship with God because we were intended for deep relationship with God, and the freedom he intended was for your growth of that relationship. I love one of the scholars I've been reading. Um, I think it was Dallas Willard. He talks about the idea that when Jesus came, he didn't say, uh, he didn't add more law. 
he actually simplified it and said, all the laws fulfilled in this, love your, brother, or love your uh, neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus was trying to unleash our potential for creative worship and love. Instead of giving you X, Y, Z, do it, or we're not in alignment, he goes, no, you, you cannot lose my love, my favor. Here's the direction I'm pointing you. Love me, love others, now go. And he gives us circumstances, challenges, opportunities. He gives us practices within our own faith. And he's like, use it to freely offer the, the uniquely U-shaped love that only you can give. You see, God is about freedom. But my proclivity is to use freedom to satisfy self at times. And so there's a warning that Jesus says, because listen, Jesus doesn't want to see you working your tail off and it doesn't even hit his heart. He doesn't want to see you busy with an, a disconnected mind from your actions. God wants to see you busy so that those moments become opportunities for connection Depth, blessing. Now, um, for us to think about that, it's more so for us to think even in this next chapter, we'll be going into three different sections, one on um, giving to others, so giving alms, taking care of those in need. Uh, the other one is prayer. During that prayer unit, we'll actually be doing the practice. So we'll take eight weeks on the prayer, and then we'll finish it up with fasting. We will not be doing a fasting unit at this time. Thank goodness we can continue to eat how we want. Um, but as I've discussed before, instead of trying to give you a regiment to do, we're trying to help you cultivate pots to grow relationship with God in. This is potential space for you to grow your relationship with God in. Therefore, Jesus says, don't use this space without your heart engaged because its intended purpose is a vibrant connection with me. And I think that's one concern that my heart and my work in this season is to help those of you who are wanting to see your hearts come back to life, your souls to move and be renewed after the image of Christ, that, that once again, or maybe for the first time, you will experience life and joy and peace like you have never experienced before, or like you did then, years ago. But you want it back. I love, I love that Jesus wants this for you. He doesn't want you sitting bored. He wants your heart on fire. He wants to captivate your mind. He wants to be the, the one who is near to you, that, that your heart draws and longs towards as you wake up in the morning and as you fall to bed at night, even if it's only to say, God, forgive me. He wants that from you. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> So <clears throat> beware, number two, is earthly treasures fade. Jesus, later on in the same chapter, the book ends, so to speak, of this section of scripture that we're going on. It ends in this way where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. 
You cannot have it all. The fallacy of the American Christian vision of you can have the world and Jesus keep your life. Nothing has to change. Tack Jesus onto you and keep on going is a broken system and it creates very weak faith. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on this earth. Why? Where moths and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth, uh, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if it's not bad enough that if we circumvent the intended purpose of our freedom and the grace of God to serve our own flesh, if that's not bad enough, the second caution that Jesus has is one of saying, listen, you can sell your soul to gain the world. But what you earn in this world in regards to honor and stuff is temporary. And, and to think that Jesus only speaks wisdom if we are an eternal people. Because if we're just material people, he speaks absolute nonsense. No, it, it would make absolute sense for me to take advantage of God's forgiveness, his grace. Hey, I don't need to worry about hell. Oh, man, I can do whatever I want. I can say what I want. I can manipulate who I want. I can deceive who I want as whatever it takes to get to the top. But what if the top is something that's going to vanish, like a shroud being rolled up? We have to be wise with how we live. And Jesus wants us, invites us, saying, listen, you are investing yourself. You are investing yourself where you live. Some of you feel like you, you have talent that's wasted. Some of you feel like you wish you had more opportunities to show up where you are. And Jesus is like, I have carved out your life to be a space for you to live out your free, creative worship for me. What does it look like for you to fearlessly love me and others with everything you have? With your home, with your resource, with your limited budget, with your car that breaks down, with your time, with your heart, with your passion, with your prayers. What does it look like for us to actually walk out and practice our acts of righteousness, as, Roman, as uh, Matthew 6 says, not for the sight of others, but for the glory and honor of the eyes of God the Father alone. I love time and time again throughout this passage, it's like, do these things in secret that the Father who is in secret, he will reward you. So Jesus wants us to be aware that there is a temperance or a temporary nature to what we sacrifice our allegiance to Jesus to gain. And it will fall away. He goes on to say, we cannot have it all. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
And American Christianity says, bull, watch me. Watch me. Watch me work 100 hours. Watch me do what's necessary. Watch me sacrifice my spiritual discipline and my faith with God time and time again, making these little, little sacrifices and compromises so that I can become what God has for me. Really? Did you feel the tension there where this self-actualization and the way of Jesus don't fit hand in hand unless we're thinking about it in eternal perspective where our self-actualization is not becoming all you can with what you got. It's becoming all that God made you to be in eternity. You are living your eternal life now. We don't just stop and then it's all over and it's bump. It doesn't matter what happens on earth. Otherwise, why would Jesus say, listen, if you just live for the people on earth, be careful because you're going to have empty pockets when you get to heaven. This is a complex theology, the theology of reward. Your experience on earth is not limited to your earthly experience. What we do in our lives is going to impact our eternity. No, I'm not talking about justification by faith. Jesus Christ died for our sins to accomplish and pay for our eternity. And we find ourselves embracing his goodness all the while between now and eternity. Are we just free to do whatever we want to do? It's like, ah, I think I'll try another restaurant. I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that. Are we just here to enjoy? Or are we actually invited to grow something? And that's what I believe Jesus is calling us to. He is calling us to a life where we are able to grow what our eternal experience will look like. But as long as we have a dual heart where we're trying to love God and get the best out of the world, love God and live for myself, we're living a broken world. And it's not new to us. Think about Israel. God, they worship him. Yahweh, he is our deliverer. He took us out of Egypt. He set us free. He is our delivering God. And then they're like, but we also need crops. We also need to have abundance. We also need to feed our children. And so they looked around and they saw, who's the God who could really help us out with that? Well, Baal. Baal's the storm God. And so instead of following with a single-hearted devotion, Israel began to worshiping Yahweh. You're my deliverer, still going to church, and worshiping Baal. Well, I got to. It's how society is. I got to do it. Like, yeah. this, is, this is more tangible than, than we think because we all have areas where we kneel to Baal success as opposed to Jesus. So what I want to introduce to us tonight is a more dynamic view of eternal life. This is not new to me. It is current and common throughout Scripture that eternal life is three things. It is endless life because Jesus dies for us and we trust in him. You shall never perish. But it is also a quality of life as spoken to in the space of John 1, where we're told that Jesus is the life. 
And in binding ourselves to Jesus, we actually are binding ourselves into a quality of life where we are invited to not merely wait for eternity, but actually to enter into actively living out our eternal life with God. Joseph Dillo says this about eternal life. Eternal life is not a static entity, but a relationship with God. It is a dynamic and growing uh, that has degrees. Some Christians have more intimate relationship with God than others. They have richer experience of eternal life. We, I missed a word in there. I can't remember what it was. We are already invited by Jesus to enter into the experience of richness with him. This place where even when you're quietly doing your acts of goodness, instead of letting your acts accentuate and build up your own profile in society, instead to secretly allow your heart to be present to Jesus and say, Jesus, this one's for you. This one's for you. That I don't want others to see it. This one's for you. And in doing so, you are able to begin to build within the tiny fragments of these small moments of faithfulness the textures of eternal life. And without being able to fully explain it, you'll begin to experience this life in the midst of a thousand moments of faithfulness, a thousand moments of dropped opportunities and embracing forgiveness, God is welcoming, beckoning us into engaging in this eternal life with him. So, we are invited to this eternal life now. Galatians 6.10 says this. Let the one who is taught the word share all the good things with those who uh, teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows or does, that will he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But from the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What's this eternal life he's talking about? It is not your eternal forgiveness. It is not talking about your salvation. Otherwise, it would be directly confronting Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, all of these passages that say it's for by grace you have been saved. He is actually saying if you sow to the Spirit, you will actually reap the benefit of richness of life, both in this day and in eternity to come. Our actions have deep ramifications on our ability to enter into and enjoy the richness of God today and eternally. So, we are invited to begin this process of looking at these spaces that we create to practice our spirituality as investment spaces. Of us going like, yeah, for the next hour I could... I could uh, I could research this thing that might help me do this better or have more knowledge about this. Or I could take this time to sow some seeds into not merely God today, but I'm sowing seeds into my relationship with God that I'll have forever. So someday you will have as the foundation 
for your eternal joy. The relationship that you cultivate in this life. Okay? So for the person who's walked with Jesus for years, they will have more texture, more storylines, more painful moments where Jesus showed up, more nuance in their knowledge of how God has loved them, has been faithful to them than the thief on the cross. True? They had one conversation. Father, I know that I, have, I am deserving of this. Remember me. And he's like, today you will be with me in paradise. Those two people are going to both have this beautifully rich experience of heaven. But they are both going to be building upon what they have from this life from then forward. There's going to be nuance to your experience of heaven from mine. There's going to be depth and richness that your pain has actually cultivated space for you to know God in a way that I don't know if I will ever know exactly the way you do in all of eternity. See, that's the redemptive element where we're told that it's, it's not even, that the current trial is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. So, anyways, um, that's kind of where I want to land the plane tonight. It's just this idea that God invites us to grow our relationship that we'll have with him today, um, even now. What questions do you guys have? I'll get my stool because I'll wait. It's fine. There's that, that um, tension between walking through the hard things and somehow still wanting to make God look like he's powerful and glorious. Mm-hmm. And so I wrestled with, well, I don't show that because setting my God's not Because in reality, in this opportunity, sometimes you end up in some pretty sweet places. So I don't know how to walk that. Um, this is a group discussion, so um, feel free to throw in. I'm going to add a thought. Is I think it's in the darkness, in the, the darkest spaces, that will be the most glorious when, we've, when we are at, when There will be a vindication of God. God will be vindicated one day, which means... Whatever is true about him will be clearly seen. So circumstances that have happened in my life, and I'm like, God, you gotta, you need to explain that to me. He's like, I will, you'll see. And I have no doubt that because God is absolutely just, he gives fairness, period. That there will be a day where I will be blown away. That not merely that he's innocent in the situation, but I'm like, oh my, like literally, oh my God, I can't believe how intricately and outstandingly you use this darkest of thing. Now that I see it in reality, in the scope of what you were doing and what you were producing in me, that I, I do believe there's going to be like this unique 
memory that me and God will revisit throughout eternity of like that space. And oh God, I, I longed, almost like a, a spousal longing, like I longed to know what your care looked like there. And the longing made my, my heart just want it even more and having received that love that I longed for makes it all the richer. I don't know if that makes sense or not. That's my thought. I learned for years that I stopped doing my job, but I still want to do it because I'm, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I mean, back in the 70s, when somebody were even born, God was thinking, hey, you're an ambassador for Christ. So you could not show like, I think it's a, it's a very uh, tricky business of showing darkness with the presence of hope. You'll, you'll notice that in art, the world is, culture is very good at highlighting darkness. I think the church needs to get better at telling the story of darkness with hope. Because darkness is real. That's what makes every person go, oh my gosh. They resound with stories of pain and heartache. But without hope, it's just, it's a story. It's non-redemptive. Yeah, so hope. Uh, talk to me about rewards. Is that a tricky deal for anybody? Why? Uh, well, Jesus in this context is talking about something between treasures that we can store up that he's holding for us that can't be lost. Um, it means everything, as we look in scripture, we'll see that uh, even in like Luke 19, Jesus tells a parable of uh, 10 workers, and he gives them each 10 talents. And then he says, hey, while I'm gone, I'm going to go get my kingdom, and I'll come back, and I'll take my role. While I'm gone, you go. And you invest what I've given you. I've given it to you. You go invest it. Got it, boss. Going for it. He goes away, comes back. One of them comes up. Hey, you gave me 10 talents. I made 10 more with your money. He's like, well done. Another guy comes, goes, hey, I made five more. Well done. Then another guy, I was afraid of you, so I buried it. Really? So that parable really illustrates this idea that God has entrusted you with your life, with your circumstances, with your, the amount of energy you have, hours awake, um, uh, resources we have, and he's going, I'm going away to get my kingdom. And he, he's left. And I, I believe that when he returns, he's going to go, what did you do with what I entrusted you? And interestingly enough, in Luke 19, uh, the, the guy who made 10 five or one, they all had different corresponding rewards. So wow, you made 10 more? Amazing, I'm gonna put you in charge of 10 cities. To the five, well done, I'm gonna put you in charge of five cities. So in eternity, we actually have, uh, it's not a heaven, this ethereal, like floating on clouds thing, there's going to be an economy, there's going to be business, there's going to be worship, there's going to be uh, 
commerce, all of it. And so part of reward in scripture is actually ruling with Christ. He gives us continued influence because the influence he gave or invited from the workers, they used it well. And so in a way, our life is really a, a training ground for becoming the kind of people who can be entrusted with influencing what the eternal world is going to be. So. In that little analogy, I think those people that were to invest their money, they were just being obedient to do what they've been asked to do, make sure they they weren't even told there was going to be a reward. Right. And I think, for me, that really reminds me that it's not about the reward. There, there might be, I mean, there might what happens like many of us, might, we don't know, are there going to be crowns, you know? It's like, we work But I don't work to get that crown. It's not, it's not the reason why I do it. I work to be obedient, and I'm that God's reward or whatever. Is designed, because I would imagine it will be amazing, but mm -hmm. that's not the purpose behind it. No. That's his job, and my job is to be obedient. Yeah, I agree. Anybody else resound with that? That, was, that makes me just think about your first point about the motives, our motives. And, uh, you know, when we're trying to work for a reward, work for our own righteousness, or to be shown righteous in front of people, um, our heart motives are not correct. And I think that's the thing that um, really stood out to me is just that whole how do we make sure that our heart is right and our motives are right and you know it's that continual kind of self check and and um, bringing it before the Lord that whatever it is that I'm doing I'm honestly truly doing it for the right motives and for Him and His glory not for my own glory my own you know rising in my job rising in my community or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's, um, that's not really a question, I guess, but just, you yeah. know, just curious. I guess I'm curious how other people resound with that, with their motives, how that is. It's, I think for some people, maybe it's easy, but I find it hard. Anybody want to chip in on that? Yeah, it's like what David said, search my heart. What's going on in my heart? What kind of motives? Sometimes you have to ask God. You don't really know what your motives are, but mm -hmm. so you have to ask God what's going on in my heart. Mm -hmm. And then you can deal with your heart, however you know, see. Person, thanks. Yeah, I think we have to know, we have to learn to check in with ourselves and um, yeah, because we, we, we want to honor him. We're, it's the beautiful response to his love is for us to live out towards him in return. Um, somehow Jesus is perfectly okay with saying, hey, do this and the Father will reward you. And so as uncertain of what that actually looks like. Um, we're not talking about salvation, obviously, but we are talking about some sort of richness, something of value that Jesus invites us to go, this is for consideration. This is for consideration. So um, any other thoughts before we kind of shift to worship? I think that also, like, you... When you're following Jesus and you're, you're learning to follow him, there's certain blessings you receive even here in this life. True. Um, 
you know, obedience produces blessing. Yep. And I've seen God over and over again in, in an obedient spirit. He's blessed in a certain area. And so it's not just heavenly rewards. It's like rewards right now in this life. And we can experience that right now. Yeah, um, Pennington, one of the scholars I've been reading about this, kind of just said it's important to notice that the, the reward is not from God. It is with God. And so it is fundamentally relational. Whatever it is, it is fundamentally relational that somehow the depth of what we have with God, both here and now and in eternity, is worth it being one of the filters that we look at. What should I do? Because sometimes if there's no eternity, like, I'm going to do what I want to do. But if I'm like, oh, no, I have a moment right now that I can actually build a loving depth with Jesus that I'll experience forever. That helps me as I work through faithfulness. So that's really the hope. Um, Throughout this series, uh, I'll just wrap up. Throughout this series, I think one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gives us is the, the knowledge that he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For us who really want to not just say, I love you, God, but really love God, there is a, an activity or a way of living towards God where I shift my investment from this world to the eternal world. And in saying, I'm going to die to myself now so that I can weave or sow into my eternal life with God. That is the best, wisest thing to do with my time, my energy. Um, And in doing so, the more we do that, Jesus says our hearts will be drawn towards that. We will long for heaven. Okay? And I think that's tough in a world that we have so much and we're so comfortable here on earth. We don't long for heaven. Okay? Let's pray. Um, We're going to take communion. Um, Thanks for the discussion. appreciate that. Uh, I ask you guys to to just continue to meditate on um, Matthew 6 this week. If you read it every day, just bring it before Jesus. Uh, It'll make our discussion time even more rich as we move forward. So I want to just pray and and thank God for for this, his body and blood given for us. Lord, I just ask that you would be among us in this place. Thank you, Lord God, that... Your world is so much bigger than we can comprehend sometimes. That is true. And it is true, God, that you are better, more kind, and more generous than we deserve and what we could count on, Lord. But we choose to believe you when you say that you love us and that you desire for us to live near you. Not merely today, Lord, but for all of our days. And so we say thank you, God, that you died on the cross, that you shed your blood, that we may um, be reunited with you. Spirit, we just invite you into this space to speak right now. 
Just show us, Lord, what it is that you long for our hearts. God, I pray that we would start cultivating practices, Lord, of turning towards you regularly. Seeking to please you, to bless you. God, I pray that you'd give us courage to seek your kingdom. We love you, Lord God, and we thank you that your body was broken, your blood shed for us. And we take this communion in remembrance of you.